Welcome to the Theo Soul Podcast, where theology meets sociology, along with a little bit of soul. I'm your host, Chad Cooper. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Sunday School Sundays. This is when we set aside some time for Christian education. We will go over a Bible lesson that includes scripture verses, a brief introduction and background of the setting, then the exposition will give a verse-by-verse breakdown with some life application and some questions to conclude. Today's Bible lesson is the eighth in our fall teaching series on love. Specifically, this fall during these three months of September, October, November, for these months, we're going to be dealing with Bible lessons from the overall theme that we are commanded by God to love others the way that God loves us. Last month, we dealt with struggles of love as we walked through uh, a couple of chapters in Genesis, as we dealt with the Joseph narrative, as we see that you can love someone, but it can be tough sometimes, especially when it deals with family. With the past few weeks in this month, our theme is inclusive love. As we've looked at passages of scripture that deals with love for the stranger, love for those less fortunate, love for our enemies, as well as love for our neighbor today we're going to be studying first corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 through 13 our background really starts at first corinthians chapter 12 verse 27 and it concludes with chapter 14 verse 1 many of you may have read or have heard first corinthians at weddings and you're used to the King James Version this chapter is often nicknamed the love chapter well our topic and title for today's lesson is the most excellent way or love divine a key verse to memorize that highlights the central theme of our lesson is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. We'll read from the King James Version. It says, And now abide of faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. And we know, just for clarification, the word charity is often translated as love. Our lesson setting, it takes place in the year A.D. 53 or 54, and the place is Corinth. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. This church was a young church that Paul planted. And for more information, please read the Acts of the Apostles, Acts around chapter number 18, when he deals with... Uh, along one of his missionary journeys uh, 
as he went and planted that church. After planting that church, Paul went away and some of the people that was left there, they dealt with some issues. And so they wrote to Paul in hopes that Paul would correspond with them via letter and hash out some of the troubles that were going on. In introduction, people in general understand the need for love, but rarely do you find many living their lives according to it. Before we recognize our call to preach, the gift to teach, the passion to serve, or even the desire to worship, God asks us, do you love me? The love we have for God is what connects us to God and enables us to be used by God. Sometimes this fundamental idea gets lost in the prestige of spiritual gifts. God endows us with spiritual gifts not to inflate the ego, but to empower us to create an environment where love can be nurtured, grown, and developed in the heart of every believer. God's will for us is that we reflect the light of his glory and love in the world. The way we do this is through the use of our spiritual gifts. However, without love, our spiritual gifts are rendered of no effect. Which means it's not about what kind of gifts or we get or who is more gifted. Instead, it's a question of love and our commitment to live the more excellent way. Paul used this phrase to encourage the Corinthians living in Corinth to choose love as the more excellent way. After receiving prior correspondence from them and learning about disagreements and divisions, that had arisen over spiritual gifts among the people in the community. Paul wrote back. He encouraged believers to live and serve based on the conviction of love rather than any other gift. Love is the only sure thing to last. And as we said before, the lesson setting takes place as Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. When we think about Corinth, Corinth was a commercial center famous for its bronze and pottery from before 600 BC. The city was ideally situated on a narrow isthmus between central Greece and the Peloponnesus that control both the sea and land routes of the region. To the west, the port of Lecheum on the Gulf of Corinth faced Italy and Spain, while the smaller harbor facility at Centria, located on the Saronic Gulf, gave access to the rich ports of the east. After 600 BC, the Corinthians built a paved road, the Diolkos, D-I-O-L-K-O-S, 
to transfer cargo and perhaps small vessels from one port to the other across the three and one half mile neck of the isthmus. The cargo transfer saved a dangerous 200 mile journey around the Cape of Maltea, Malia, M-A-L-E-A. The Roman geographer Strabo described Corinth as, quote, wealthy because of its commerce, since it is situated on the isthmus, and is master of two harbors, of which one leads straight to Asia and the other to Italy. And it makes easy the exchange of merchandise from both countries that are so far distant from each other. And that was a quote from Strabo's book entitled Geography. Although the Romans destroyed the city in 146 BC, Julius Caesar rebuilt Corinth as a Roman colony in the year 44 BC. And the city quickly regained its commercial importance. In 27 BC, Augustus made Corinth the provincial capital of Achaia, adding political prominence to the city's unquestioned commerce, commercial importance. Corinth attracted pilgrims every two years to the Isthmian Games, one of the four major Panhelic games. The Isthmian Games honored Poseidon, god of the sea, and were held at nearby Isthmia. These pilgrims added to the rich cosmopolitan population, Romans, Greeks, and a sizable Jewish community, all of the great seaport city. Like most ports, Corinth had a well-known reputation for immorality. The colloquial expression to Corinthianize meant to engage in immoral behavior and loose living. Paul warned his Corinthian converts against returning to the immorality and licentiousness out of which they came. For reference, see 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, also 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Numerous temples to the older Olympian gods and newer deities dotted the city's landscape. A temple to Apollos, or Athena, built shortly after 600 BC was restored after the Roman destruction. An important healing shrine sacred to uh, Asclepius attracted pilgrims seeking a cure for various maladies. A larger temple west of after west of the form was used for the imperial cult a row of smaller temples enclosing the west end of the form have been attributed to various deities including tai chi venus apollo and possibly hera the egyptian deities isis and osiris o-s-i-r-i-s also received worship at Corinth. The Roman Forum lay at the center of the city, approached from the north by the Lachaeum. A series of storm, uh, stoas, S-T-O-A-S, 
on the south and northwest defined by the form. The southern section contained administrative buildings while the northern sector housed shops and markets. A central row of shops bisected the form east to west. In the middle of the shops was the Bema, a tribunal where Paul probably stood before the proconsul Gallio in AD 51. For reference, see Acts chapter 18 verses 12 through 17. That is some background on the city of Corinth. Paul made Corinth his home for 18 months before traveling back to Jerusalem. He met Aquila and Priscilla there, and together they practiced their trade of tent making. Paul began his mission in Corinth among the Jews in a synagogue, but after meeting opposition there, he extended his ministry to the Gentiles, preaching and teaching in the house of Titius Justus, where he met such much success. See Acts chapter 18 verses 5 through 11. Paul's lengthy stay in Corinth allowed the apostle time to pin letters back to the church at Thessalonica, carried by his trusted trusted fellow laborers Silas and Timothy. A similar opportunity afforded Paul itself later in Paul's more lengthy stay at Ephesus. Our lesson will be divided up into three sections. Section number one will take on verses one, two, and three as we talk about ministry without love. Section two will read verses four through seven, and that is entitled, What is Love? Finally, verses eight through thirteen, we will discuss and break down those verses as we talk about it's all about love. Let's begin. Section one, ministry without love. We'll be reading from the King James Version. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am becoming a sounding brass, or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Ministry without love. According to Paul, only one thing matters when it comes to spiritual gifts. Love. Without it, one's gifts, no matter how elaborate and divine, are as useless as sounding brass or clanging cymbals. As an example, exercising the gift of speaking in tongues without love is like a band of expensive instruments playing out of sync with each other. It disrupts rather than creating harmony amid the community of believers. In hypothetical fashion, Paul continued with his insistence of love. He intentionally exaggerated his position. He wrote, quote, verse 2, If I have all prophetic 
powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. This stressed this point that without love, these spectacular feats of faith are meaningless. He further argued that even the most noble acts of personal sacrifice, such as giving away personal possessions or surrendering the body to be burned, count for nothing when love is not the reason for doing them. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is couched between two chapters that explain Paul's understanding of spiritual gifts. The reality of spiritual gifts has never been in question, but only their implementation. Paul wrote in chapter 14, verse 26, quoting the New Revised Standard Version, quote, What should be done then, my friends? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. End quote. The notion of love is that whatever is done must be done in and for a spirit of collective blessing. Tongues without love are of no help to any but the speaker. They produce cacophony. Love tempers its gifts so that they are used in an appropriate manner for the moment and setting. Anything less is self-aggrandizement and given to produce division, strife, and power struggles. Nothing is gained from this. Paul wrote repeatedly in chapter 13 verses 1, 2, and 3 that, quote, I am nothing or, quote, I gain nothing. An appropriate translation would be, I am no one, and I accomplish nothing. These latter phrases get at the heart of the matter. Because spiritual gifts can be a matter of pride, those who possess them within the Corinthian church needed a reminder the gifts were not a matter of pride. The gifts expression and reason for use should take center stage. Section 2 is entitled, What is Love? We're going to read verses 4 through 7 and then break them down. From the King James Version it says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Verses 1, 2, and 3 are designed to teach the emptiness of gifts, not controlled by love. Verses 4 through 7 show the characteristics of love. Paul's ideas of love were especially relevant to the congregational and liturgical problems evident within the life of the believers in Corinth. Paul drew attention 
to those characteristics of love most important for harmonious relationships because of the Corinthians misunderstanding of spiritual matters which lay primarily in their failure to live as a body first Paul said love suffers long or is patient a quality he had developed by default in his dealings with the people of Corinth and their slow surrender to the principles of Christ having to handle them with a firm tenderness made Paul realize love is also kind and gentle the love he felt for them was so fulfilling so satisfying there was little room for anything else and therefore it did not envy because of his many humbling encounters throughout his journey Paul had discovered love is not puffed up meaning love isn't fueled by pride but by conviction he continued in his commentary on love in verse 5 where he said love does not behave rudely in reference to social decorum though the definitions of rude vary from culture to culture at the heart of rudeness is a disregard for the social customs others have adopted when one does not concern themselves with the likes and dislikes of others they show a disrespect a perfect example is taken from the Pauline corpus in 1st Corinthians chapter 8 Paul said stronger believers should not eat meat if it offended their weaker brothers or sisters this was an issue that was constrained by culture but its lesson still rings true for modern believers <clears throat> rudeness is relegated to culture and for that matter love takes the time to learn the culture of another so as not to offend proper regard indicates love for another nevertheless love does not always require a person to go along with the crowd when the customs of a culture contradict the highest ideals of the Christian faith it is not unloving to break the social mores in fact it actually may show Christ-like love to break with such cultural norms for instance every loving Christian bears the responsibility to break the customs that perpetuate racial gender and other forms of discrimination according to Paul love does not seek its own meaning is not self-serving and therefore is not easily provoked those who love others are slow to anger anger is slow to develop in love because love seeks to understand rather than to be understood understanding the other gives over to patience because it gives another perspective that may not have been previously considered love considers that each person has something to contribute in doing so it takes the opinions and feelings of others seriously to not seek one's own is to consider others before self such as is stated in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3.
Selfishness is the product of a belief in entitlement or privilege. Acting in love essentially means to think of the other as one thinks of the self. As I am beautiful, smart, worthy, and made in the image of God, so is the other. This produces patience. Love thinks no easel evil in that those who are controlled by love don't keep meticulous records of wrongdoing or offenses against them. Instead, they offer forgiveness time and time again. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but contrasts it in truth. The term that is translated as wrongdoing in the Greek is adikia. A-D-I-K-I-A or unrighteousness. Often when this word is used in the New Testament, it is used to contrast with righteousness or another term that emphasizes the waywardness or violation of God's word. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says that this is a usage in verse 6. Quote, the antithesis is conceived in such a way that we see the relation between aletheia, truth, and diakaiosuni, righteousness. For obedience to the truth is agape, love, which is the direct opposite of the Greek word truth and embracing of that truth is equated to love it is the obedience to God's word and obedience to God's truth that love lives within and in this truth love endures all without fail Section 3 of our lesson is entitled, It's All About Love. Let's read verses 8 through 13 as we read the section. From the KJV, it says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abide of faith, hope, 
charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. It's all about love. Pressing his argument of what love is, Paul describes three other spiritual gifts as being temporary when compared with love. Prophecies, tongues, or divine knowledge all will pass away long before love does because love is eternal and never fails. As Paul talked about the perfect nature of love in verse 9, he was referencing the moment in which love matures in us. When that times come, dependency on spiritual gifts will not be as necessary as it once was. Paul supported his view with two analogies. First, he appealed to a parallel of the natural experience of maturation, explaining that when he was a child, he spoke, understood, and thought as a child. When he became a man or matured in love, he put away childish things. Because they are limited by the constraints of this life, the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, when compared to love, were considered by Paul to be childish things. As a subtle rebuke to the Christians in Corinth, Paul was saying that fighting over spiritual gifts is childish and something one outgrows when they have matured in love. Each one of the listed gifts only appears in part. Though this appears to be obvious, it is important to note, for it is not uncommon for gifted people to behave as if their gifts are final and complete. Paul was simply arguing that as good as a prophecy or knowledge might be, neither represents the fullness of God or his vision for the world and his people. Bless you. An example is the prophecies of the Old Testament that represented the coming of the Messiah. Each one held merit in itself. However, none of them represented the fullness of the Christ in the person of Jesus. Jesus was the end of those prophecies, but each only provided a snippet of the totality of his character, beauty, grandeur, and wisdom. Love, however, is the fullness of the deity, for God is love, and love is from God. See the reference of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Paul's second analogy involved the experience of looking dimly in a mirror. In Paul's day, note this cultural background, Corinth was well known for its mirrors. Because their mirrors were made of polished brass, some interpreters have argued Paul referred to the fact that metal mirrors reflected one's image only imperfectly. Corinth, however, made high quality mirrors that probably provided good reflections. 
Yet even the reflection of those mirrors was no substitute for a real person. A modern parallel would be a photograph. Modern believers enjoy clear photographs of loved ones, but those pictures barely begin to portray the wonderful people they depict. For Paul, the gifts of the Spirit are like photographs for the community for now. When love is made complete in us, everyone will experience the God and the photographs from a more intimate face-to-face disposition. At this point, a full knowledge can be recognized. Only through experiencing the being and isness of God is this made complete. This is differentiated from a simple viewing as in a mirror or a picture. It's being in the presence of and seeing, feeling, touching. Quite simply, experiencing something is quite different than observing something. Paul closes discussion of the most excellent way with a summary of what should be most important for the believer, faith, hope, and love. These three remain when all else is gone. The language used here was intentional as Paul argued that all other gifts will pass away. Faith, hope, and love will stand the test of time, trial, and, given Paul's predilection to eschatological thought, even the parousia, the second coming. These virtues will survive and be necessary even as the world fades away. Thus they each stand above all of the gifts, spiritual gifts, displacing the Corinthians favorites such as prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Love is raised even higher. Out of the three, it is the greatest. Love completes all other gifts and is what has been demonstrated by God and through God. Now let's wrap up our Bible lesson for today with some concluding remarks, life application, discussion, and a question or two. Love is defined differently for different people. Depending on the most frequent and impacting experiences with love, love can mean many things. One side of love that is important is passion. Passion is a form of love we overlook because it doesn't directly involve another person. It isn't meant to. Passion isn't affirmed by things outside, but rather those things inside of us. Our passion leads us to discover and feel our purpose in God. 
living our lives on purpose through passion is how we reveal his love in the world those things and people we are passionate about are what we love most completely passion is what gives us the ability to move from the head knowledge of love to the fullness of the application of love passion drives our work and lives in God and brings out the best of our spiritual gifts to the service of God and his people find your passion and live into it loving God and his people every step of the way let's talk about it with a question if this passage is not specifically about the love between a man and a woman why is it read so often at weddings this passage is a favorite at weddings even though it is somewhat philosophical it is also practical in what perfect love should look like for many years the list is not complete but Paul did not write this as an exhaustive list or definition of love rather this text serves as a baseline for what love should look like these are the basics even though it was written for a local body of believers what better way to celebrate the love between two people than to set a biblical precedent on the ground rules in the relationship to read this passage at a wedding in is in essence to invoke a biblical blessing in the future marital relationship by stating that this is who we will be to each other we will be kind we will be patient we will not be boastful or assume to know it all the reading of this passage is not only beautiful but it's spiritually sound its reading reflects the couple's bond is deeper than physical attraction and mutual respect flows from lives that are ultimately rooted in the almighty these are two who have decided to walk together in love since god is the creator this passage provides the groundwork for the building of a relationship and the beauty of it all is that it is the formula of success for all relationships not just familiar ones godly love should be the foundation for all life before we leave we'll leave you with some homework known as the DDR around here at the Theoso podcast Let's take a look. For Monday, Laban arranges to wash servants' feet. Genesis 24, verses 24 through 33. Tuesday, brothers provided water to wash feet. Genesis chapter 43, verses 20 through 25. Wednesday, servants and masters, but same Lord. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. Thursday. Peter denies Jesus three times. John 13. 
verses 33, 36 through 38, chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, and then verses 25 through 27. Friday, Jesus betrayed by a trusted disciple. Psalm number 41, verses 9, verses 8 through 10. John 13 verses 21 through 30. Saturday, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. John chapter 12 verses 1 through 7. And Sunday, Jesus loved disciples wash their feet. John chapter 13 verses 1 through 15 skips over the verses 34 and 35. Here the Theo Soul Podcast. You can find us on social media platforms, and we hope that you engage with us on today's trending topic. And we hope that you make it trending. If not, we hope that you interact with us. Hashtag excellent love. Love is the excellent way of God. Here's a question we can discuss uh, via social media. Why do you believe it is the best way? To do life for Christians. Share your views and tag us at CJ Cooper929 on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, tag us Chad Cooper and use hashtag Sunday School Sundays, hashtag The Old Soul Podcast, and hashtag Excellent Love. If you would like to donate, if you feel led, you can donate to the Theoso Podcast via Cash App. You can look us up. Dollar sign CJ Cooper 22. This has been another episode of the Theoso Podcast of Sunday School Sundays. We hope you enjoyed the following Bible lesson. God bless and take care. <laughs>